Orchard Radio begins in three, two, one. You are God's little G. You are God's because you came from God. When I read in the Bible where he says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. God came from heaven, became a man, made man into little gods. We have the potential and the capacity through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to know God, but that does not mean we are God. The Bible is very clear. There is only one God, and he will not share his glory with another. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Story time! A story about men. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, if I asked you the question, when were men more manly? The 21st century or the 19th century? What would be your answer, sir? I would say the 19th century for See, sure. See, that's what I would have said, too. Imagine my surprise when I was reading a rather lengthy treatise of the history of masculinity in Western civilization by Greg Morris, that the problem of sissification has been with us for quite a while. We have a tendency to look at our generation and go, whoa, kind of soft. We are pretty industrialized. We are technologized. We don't have a lot of calluses. And we observe that men are getting, well, rather Harry Styles-ish. <laughs> They're getting right. By the way, if you wanted to know where America is at, Jimmy, this is a good sign. The next time you go to the grocery store, look on the magazine rack. Uh-huh. Is it Harry or Henry Styles? He's, he's I, the I think it's heartthrob ha- Harry days. Styles. Yeah, Harry. Harry Styles. Yeah. Uh. Harry, he's got his own magazine. What? I know. It's a what? Like Oprah. What has he done? <laughs> There's Time Life had one on Billy Joel, and I went, okay, that I get. 50 yeah. years of hit making. Harry Styles put on a dress. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't see how that's worthy of a magazine, but we digress. It turns out, if this history from Greg Morse is correct, that masculinity has been on the wane for a long time, we are not the first generation to recognize, uh-oh, the men are getting kind of squishy. So let's take a little history tour, courtesy of Greg Morse, The Search for Manly Men of God. This is the history, I've never even heard this phrase before, of muscular Christianity. Eh? You, you familiar with that term? Apparently, it was all the buzz in the 19th, 20th centuries. Let's take a look back in time. In the mid-19th century, that would be your 1850s, a growing number of Christians looked at the church and noticed a distinct lack of both men and masculinity. Because just because you're men doesn't mean you're masculine men. If you happen to be masculine and you're not a man, well, then something is probably a little off. But women outnumbered the men in seemingly all quarters, and many of the men who remained seemed feminine, emasculated by an industrialized society and a church that catered to the female sex. We cannot overlook the impact of the Industrial Revolution on Western civilization. It changed families. 
If you recall, give or take 1780, 1820, those were the roaring years of the Industrial Revolution. I believe it went all the way through the 19th century, even into the 20th century. We're now in the technological revolution, but this was the first time that families were splintered. Dad went to work, mom stayed home. The kids then would also go off to a government school. In other words, the family was fractured. And this has changed the way that we as Christians figure out how are we supposed to do this? Because we just assume that the ideal is that husbands go out to work, moms stay home and raise the kids. That's the best. That is not the way it was for all of human history up until the Industrial Revolution. Families worked together, farmed together, stayed together, survived or died together. The Industrial Revolution changed all of that. Off men went, and they were not doing heavy lifting as much. Now, granted, there was more manual labor then than there is today because the Industrial Revolution, it hasn't gone to sleep. It continues to evolve and progress and eliminate back-breaking jobs. Now, that can be a blessing, but it can also be a bit of a curse. Furthermore, we need to remember, and I think this is the ultimate point of this treatise of muscular Christianity and Western civilization. Why is it that the church in the 1800s were recognizing that these men were not as masculine? Now, it could be that there were more desk jobs than ever before. That is a possibility. But even so, I think we rightly recognize they still had to work harder than we do today. We've got everything catered, done, electronic, motorized. It is just there at the push of a button on our cell phones. They were working, they were, they were, if you will, more masculine in the sense that they would sweat more at work than we do. So why is it that 19th century Christians would observe, but they're kind of sissified? I think that's, that is a question worth pondering. We look back at the 19th century and go, those were dudes. They were looking at the dudes and going, they're dudettes. They're not masculine at all. And I wonder if that isn't helpful. What does it mean to be masculine? How does that manifest itself? And I can't help but conclude, especially when you consider the diversity of how God has made giftings in different men, some like to hunt, some like to fish, some like to, to play, some like to farm, some like athletics, some are into books. So we have this panoply, this wide variety of men. Why are we all supposed to go hunting and kill our dinner with our bare hands in order to be men? Yes. Well, if you're John Eldridge, yeah, probably. Well, <laughs> <laughs> wild at heart like that, but... I think we have a better biblical definition of masculinity. It's an innate thing. Not how strong we are or how bulging our biceps are. Instead, genuine masculinity means I'm convictional. I am going to still have emotions but not be emotional. 
I am willing to sacrifice and I'm ready to take a shellacking if necessary because truth is that important. My family is that important. My wife, my kids, they are so important. I am going to do everything necessary to see their flourishing increase. That is closer to masculinity where we are more convictional. We think better. We have more wisdom. We're not foolish. We've sloughed off some bad characteristics and we become filled hopefully with more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. What does it mean to be a man? Let's continue going back in time, shall we, in response to this emasculated Christianity in the 19th century, some Protestant leaders began a movement that could become to called, that would become to called muscular Christianity. Jimmy, you yes. ever heard of muscular Christianity before? I can't say that I have. Huh. Wait a second. I, this is so funny. I, I don't know if you know this, but I speak um, a language that isn't American and the word muscular muscular Christianity actually interpreted means Vodibacum. <laughs> okay, here's a question. Is Vodibacum big dude, strong man, into jujitsu? He he could snap you like a pretzel, at least a stale pretzel. So does that make him a man because he's muscular and strong and he can tap you out? or you would be tapped out by him, however that works? The answer is no, because you can be big and strong and still be sissified. Why? Because I would suggest to you it is far less about the externals than it is the internals when it comes to being a masculine man. Back to the history tour. Muscular Christians sought to reach and reclaim men with a focus on practical religion and physical strength. You are going to see that this idea has lingered into the 21st century. So one prescription, though, in the 19th century read this, quote, more discipline, more mission, more muscle. So the movement really peaked in America from 1880 to 1920. The movement originated in England among usually liberal Protestants, Victorian men who were becoming a little bit more civilized, a little bit more mannered. The church saw it and went, uh-oh, they're not muscular enough. So they started to build gymnasiums. Are you familiar with the YMCA? It came out of the muscular Christian movement. And while I think it is good and right, especially in our technologized society where everything is done for us electronically, Exercise and sport is good, and it is right, but your body fat index, how much you can bench press, how many you can squat, how many pounds you can squat in the rack, it's not what makes you a masculine man. Let's continue going back in time to study masculinity and let's see if we can find an example that will guide us through our 21st century rather feminized society next on wretched radio two 
200. That's right, 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel, they're getting saved, their parents are getting saved, the church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local churches that became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. The month of October is finally here, which means football season is in full swing, basketball season's not far behind, the leaves are falling, and it's time for the annual Wretched Fall Booklet Sale. Now through the 25th, all of our gospel booklets are on sale, and I mean really on sale. Packs of 25 and 50 are 40% off, and packs of 100 are 35% off for Don't Stub Your Toe, Are You a Rotten Fish, The Man Who Split Time, and 13 Reasons Not to Commit Suicide. There's no charge as always for solving the God puzzle. It's the perfect opportunity for you to grab booklets to hand out on Halloween. And no, I'm not encouraging you to celebrate the Devil's Day, but let's face it, kids are still coming to your door whether you like it or not, so why not hand them the gospel and shine some light on this dark and demonic day? And while everybody else is handing out cavities and sugar crashes, you can get the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The annual Wretched Fall Booklet Sale, happening now at Wretched.org. Like the Pointer Sisters, I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles and the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines but they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible to join the Master's Academy International. Books of the Bible. Leviticus is the guidebook for the priests and Levites as they attend to their duties in the temple. In Leviticus, we learn that God is holy, sin is serious, and that God requires a sacrifice for atonement. Thankfully, we have complete atonement in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Why were men becoming sissies? This is Wretched Radio. Greg Morse, very helpful article. The Search for Manly Men of God, taking us on a tour originating in England in the 19th century, a movement that came across the Pondo America, muscular Christianity. And there was a heavy emphasis on men being physically strong. Here's a quote. 
from historian Clifford Putney, over-civilization. Now remember, we're in the industrial era. We are in the Victorian period. Over-civilization meant excessive body-denying intellectualism. Spend all your time studying books in your cell phone. Okay, that was a little bit of presentism. But you, you, you sacrifice being muscular because it's getting easier. The fruit of which was emasculation, physical and cultural. Over-civilization dried the sweat and smoothed the calluses of men, leaving refined taste, sensibilities, and decorum in their stead. Okay, if these guys were startled by the lack of masculinity in Christian males in the 19th century, what do you think they would say about us today? They would be shocked at how refined and civilized we are. But that doesn't mean that being refined and civilized are bad things in and of themselves. Those things are good, but if they are done at the exclusion of other masculine endeavors, well, then, yeah, you can become very squishy and soft. How many times have you heard this, perhaps, on talk radio, that if this generation had to go to war, they wouldn't? Does it take a male to go to war? Well, that does tend to be more of a masculine attribute, to be certain. But it is not the external toughness that motivates a man to march to war, to risk life and limb for the sake of his country, for the sake of his nation, for the sake of freedom. It is an internal compass, which is why I think the muscular Christian movement missed it. Teddy Roosevelt, from his book, The Strenuous Life, 1901. He noted a general tendency among people of culture and education to neglect and even look down on the rougher and manlier virtues. See, I think that word manlier, manlier virtues isn't entirely helpful because we all automatically think, well, that means you go set a bear trap in the woods. Well, men do that. It tends to be more of a masculine endeavor, but that is not what makes one a man. What was Jimmy? Yes. Your favorite show was Bonanza, right? <laughs> I watched it. Yeah. Okay. Who was was it? Hop Singh that was the cook. I think that was the name of the cook that they had at Bonanza. That's, I, I'm, that, I'm going to go with you. That demands an explanation. What was? At any rate, I'm looking. He cooked the food. Does that make him a sissy? No. Now he could be a man. Can be a sissified chef. But he doesn't have to be because it is not about the activity as much as the values and the convictions and the steadiness and the wisdom and the strength and courage. How that gets manifested, that is up to each and every single different guy. Because if we say that in order to be wild at heart, this is what you got to be doing. We are going to have cookie cutter Christians. God doesn't work that way. He has some that are intellectuals and they should use the brains that God has given to them to forward the growth of his kingdom, to serve his people, to help with human flourishing. But that doesn't make him a sissy because he reads a lot all day. 
At least I hope not, because that's pretty much all I do. Henry James critique in his 1886 novel, The Bostonians, quote, the whole generation is womanized. The masculine tone is passing out of the world. It's a feminine, a nervous, hysterical, chattering, canting age. Now, I think those words are helpful because those types of things aren't masculine. Nervous. Now, both men and women can be nervous, but men should be steady, not hysterical, not chattering, not canting, whatever that means. An age of hollow phrases and fake delicacy and exaggerated solicitudes and coddled sensibilities, which, if we don't look out, will usher in a reign of mediocrity of the feeblest and flattest and the most pretentious that has ever been. It's interesting. I wonder to whom they hearken to say this is what it means to be a masculine male. Genghis Khan? Somebody in the Middle Age? Constantine? Who is the ideal? And that is where I think we fall into a trap when we try to strictly define what it means to be a masculine male based on activities. That's, that's just, it's not what makes a man a man. It's the heart. Back to the article. This is now the church. The disproportion of females to males in church has always existed in American shores. Beginning in the 17th century, New England church rolls record more female attendance than male. Even though men outnumbered women three to two. Puritan preacher Cotton Mather, quote, There are far more godly women in the world than godly men. I have seen it without going a mile from home. That in a church of three or four hundred communicants, there are but few more than 100 men. All the rest are women. It was imbalanced because, as this article lays out, and it sounds a lot like Nancy Piercy's trail of history regarding the Industrial Revolution and the impact on families throughout the 18th, 19th, and 20 and 21st centuries now, it is because men went away and women started going to church more, started doing the teaching of their children, and pastors responded and said, well, if women are more interested, then let's start catering the services to women. And the services, they did lose some ump, some demands on men. It was a softer, gentler sort of Christianity, sort of like today. I got to tell you, Jimmy. Yes. Everybody knows Chick-fil-A has the Christian music. True. So does Zaxby's. <laughs> At least the one that I was in, was it last night? <laughs> Probably a good chance sometime yesterday. And the Christian music was playing, and I don't know if the kids had it turned up too loud. It was so cloying. Oh, and it was these girls caterwauling and just, oh, oh, you hold me and I feel your loving presence. Ugh, ugh. That is not the type of music that draws men. Does that mean that the hymns need to be, I'm a man, I love God? No, but they need to at least call men up to the role that they're supposed to play. And that, I think, is yet another helpful way to delineate the difference between masculinity and femininity. What do you know? It's a biblical concept. That it's the idea that one gender plays a set of roles 
and the other gender plays a complementary set of roles. What are those roles? Well, according to the Bible, we're supposed to be the workers. We are supposed to be the sacrificers. We're supposed to be the warriors. We're supposed to be theologians. We're supposed to be priests. We are given assignments by God that we are to carry out. What that looks like is different for everybody because it is not about externals. It is about internals. Where do we go? Where do we search? How do we find the right role model to help us make our way through it? The answer, of course, is our Savior. And this is why we see what appears. Is that the same guy? The, 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 guy, the, the rabbi has children on his knee? The dude talks to women? That dude turns over tables. That dude has a cord that he's using, whips, to drive people out. We see both. And that's our model. And the way to become masculine is not by joining a gym. You can do that if you want to. It is not by bending metal bars. We see that in churches, don't we? <laughs> what, what have they fallen into? Muscular Christianity. That's what it means to be a man. No, you can be a muscular sissy. You can also be a wimpy dude. Because when we study theology, when we study the Lord Jesus Christ, when we gaze at him with unfailed face, we become more transformed into his image and likeness. And that means we will be working on the internals, and then we will use the wisdom that we have gleaned to apply it to the externals. Let us not fall into the trap, man, that muscular Christianity easily fell into. And by the way, we did in the late 20th century in evangelical Christianity. Let's remember it's about roles. It's about internals, not externals. And it is about becoming more like Jesus. And incidentally, ladies, just in case you think you have been neglected, that goes for you too. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. And we start today with just one small portion of a diatribe that was TikToked by one public middle school teacher. I am non-binary and I use they them pronouns and my students know this. I had some boys asking about it and I explained to them like here's how you use it, here's an example. We use it in the English language all the time. And they respond with, well if you're a man then I can be a woman. How am I supposed to call parents about this behavior when they're probably the people that they learned it from? While your child may not be exposed to it this year, chances are before they graduate, they will be. The largest public school system in Maryland has seen an increase in the number of students that identify as non-binary. The increase that this one particular school system saw, 582%. In 2019, 35 students in this Maryland school district identified as non-binary. In 2021, 239 in this same school district identified as non-binary. And children aren't being indoctrinated by public school? 
Maybe not every public school, but it is happening by a large margin all over this country. Parents, again, stay on top of who is teaching your children. If a proposed amendment in the state of Michigan soon passes, children will have a right under the Michigan Constitution to walk into Planned Parenthood without their parents' knowledge and obtain puberty blockers. Planned Parenthood of Michigan calls it just part of their commitment to offering gender-affirming care. I would actually call it a commitment to minor mutilation. Parents, there is a war against children right now, and we have to be on the forefront of protecting them. Just like what's going on in this next story, out of Virginia, where Tina Ramirez, who's a conservative candidate for the Senate in the state of Virginia, is being harassed by a political activist who's actually trying to have her children taken away from her because she thinks only women can get pregnant and give birth. And this guy who lives in fantasy land wants to have this woman's children taken away from her. Well, I just told you about the school district in Maryland who's seen a near 600% increase over the last two years in students who identify as non-binary, where recently a Stanford children's doctor gave a TED talk and she said a whole lot of stuff suggesting that minors should be able to have surgery and take hormones and be castrated all at their own choice. But she also said something that is quite telling. The demand for transgender surgery has increased by five folds over the past five years. So if the demand for transgender surgery among minors has increased fivefold over the last five years, why do we have people out there still trying to say, we're not trying to groom your kids? Because the evidence suggests otherwise. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. <laughs> The Bible is not a manual. While it should be read literally, the books fit into a variety of genres, including narrative, poetry, prophecy, and epistle. How we understand and apply scripture begins with identifying what genre we are reading. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. <laughs> You want to see an example of what I've just been yammering on about for the last 22 minutes? Let's go to the YMCA. This is a wretched radio. Remember the village people? Back in the 70s, they were dressed up in costumes, singing about how fun it is to hang out with all the boys at the YMCA. And there were rumors, there were whispers, are those guys gay? But overall, American society couldn't imagine that they would be that out about their sexuality. My question regarding the village people is they were dressed up like a cop, like a Native American warrior, like a construction guy. Jimmy, you've got their poster on your wall, don't you? Who's the fourth one? Whatever. It, it, he wasn't wearing a ballerina costume. He, they were wearing Manly outfits. Were they manly? It's not the clothes that make the man. It's not the calluses that make the man. It's not the brute strength that makes the man. Speaking of the YMCA, Greg Morrison, this really <laughs> eye-opening examination of muscular Christianity in both Great Britain and America, says that these he cites some of the outworkings of it, and one of them was the YMCA. It peaked in America from the 1880s to the 1920s. 
And the YMCA decided, hey, we got to get these dudes in better shape. And the YMCA was born as the Young Men's Christian Association. It's not that so much anymore. The YMCA used gyms to attract the interest of boys not interested in Bible studies and teas and sought to give them purpose, committed souls to Christ, and fit bodies for social service. By the way, what drove a lot of this muscular Christianity, interestingly, was the social gospel. You got to be doing stuff. You got to be helping people, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what Christianity was becoming, a social gospel. Isn't that interesting that some things never change? Another outcropping of the muscular Christianity movement, the Boy Scouts. They they were the ones that thought the kids are too bookish. They're too sanitized, domesticated, under its army of women teachers who were unfit to impart a masculine education. Just Just for the record, it doesn't mean that externals mean nothing. It, it doesn't necessarily mean, or it, it doesn't mean that there's no value to how we portray ourselves. But having said that, there is still such a variety among men. You've got soft-spoken guys, and then you got loud people. I can't think of any at the moment, but there are those people. Does that mean that one is more masculine than the other? No, but if a fellow is kind of lispy in the way that he speaks, that would be something that should be addressed and helped. But that's not because that turns him into a man. So we need to be careful how we figure this out, because I got to tell you, as I'm reading the history of muscular Christianity, I just see, oh, that's that's a ditch. Oh, you went into the other ditch. Oh, you just ricocheted, and now you're starting to act just the opposite way. We got to be careful here. So the Boy Scouts decided we can do something about this. The church, they thought, with its Sunday schools manned by women, there's a funny phrase, could not give the hero worshiper a suitable champion to imitate. It's good that we have somebody to imitate in our lives. But even if you don't have a dad or an uncle or even older men in your church that are taking interest in you, you do have a role model. Your savior is your role model. You become like him and nobody's going to call you a sissy. Nobody's going to think, well, that's a feminized Christian male. Because Jesus is the role model. He is the one that we should emulate. So they created youth gangs such as the Boys Brigade, Knights of King Arthur, and the Boy Scouts. A number of years ago, I don't know that this is still as popular as it once was, but years ago, if you went to a homeschool convention, which if I could, if you're thinking about homeschooling your kids and you wonder, how do we get started in all of this? The answer is go to a homeschool convention. I'm telling you, you will be shocked at how much there is to consume and how many options you have. The homeschool movement does not have a paucity 
of good materials. They have an overabundance of it, and it can be a bit overwhelming, but it'll help you start to get a handle on homeschooling. So go um, March, I think of, no, let me think, May. It's a month that begins with the letter M. Next year, I'll be in Knoxville for the Teach Them Diligently conference, which I really, I, I can't criticize any other homeschool conference, but I can just uphold the Teach Them Diligently organization and commend them to you because their goal is not just to get whip-smart kids. That's a part of it, but it is to have a godly home where men are acting like Jesus, where the wife is acting like the church, and the kids are growing to love Jesus. Now, if you went to a homeschool conference years ago, I, I'm not thinking of any one in particular, it wasn't uncommon that you would see young men, teenagers, walking around dressed up in costumes from the King Arthur period. Because that movement that was actually created a long time ago with a muscular Christianity in the 19th century, the Boys Brigade, the Knights of King Arthur, it's the same idea. That the knight is what makes you a man. You go off to battle and you have a stallion and you've got yourself a javelin. What is the thing? Uh, what The lance. Is that it? Huh. You got a, you got the thing that you use to put in the guts of the other guy and knock him off. So dress like that and that'll make you a man. That's just a mistake. Now, once again, what you wear does speak. And if it is something that the culture deems as being feminine, then you're going to want to reconsider your wardrobe. Having said that, putting on a knight's costume, put, having two people in a dragon thing that they walk around, that, that, that just isn't what makes you masculine. We need a better standard than the ones we've created. What else was one of the outcroppings of muscular Christianity? Glad you, glad you asked. Sport culture. By far, the biggest impact of muscular Christianity has to do with the way it shifted societal perceptions of physicality. Our sports and fitness culture today, detached as it is from faith, is muscular Christianity's greatest legacy. Okay, possibly. I mean, I think that we would have come up with the concept. There were gymnasiums back in Greek days. Just the same. This idea was that dudes went and got pumped up because that's what makes you a man. It doesn't. There are plenty of guys. They just don't have a ton of muscle mass, and they can go to the gym five days a week, consume creatine for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they're not going to get bulky. Doesn't make them a wimp because that's not what masculinity is. Masculinity, if I had to pick a word, what does it mean to be masculine? I would say godly. Masculinity is godliness. That is what we should be working toward. The article concludes the atrophy of the muscular Christianity movement. The Great War dealt a mighty blow to muscular rhetoric. The aftermath of WW1, you know, the war to end all wars that didn't, extinguished much of the energetic idealism of the previous decades and replaced it with disillusionment and cynicism. There wasn't much societal appetite 
to, for talk of keeping one's body in fighting shape, nor of the celebration of masculine battle-related virtues like courage or honor, because it's like, we, we, we've had enough of that. We don't want any. So what do we do as a culture? Boom! You just ricochet to the other side and just ignore them. What can we learn from the muscular Christian movement? That's a good question. Let's consider a quote from Josiah Strong, 1901. There is not enough of effort of struggle in the typical church life of today to win young men to church. A flowery bed of ease does not appeal to a fellow who has any manhood in him. The prevailing religion is too comfortable to attract young men who love the heroic. Doesn't that sound like that could have been written in 2001 or 2021? That could be written right now. Jesus calls us to something hard. And that is what I think we can learn, that we should be challenging people, yeah, to do things that men should be doing, that we should be strong as we can and willing to use that strength. But it's more about strength of conviction than it is strength of biceps. What can we learn from this? Church, don't treat men like girls. Call them up. This is Wretched Radio. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash Wretched. Affordable Biblical Health sharing Christians paying for other Christians medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, Love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Thank you for joining us for Wretched Radio today. When is the last time you took a gander around the Wretched Store? If it's been a while, I'd like to urge you to do so today. The Wretched Store is home to tons of great resources, books, booklets, videos, MP3s, and curriculum. And I'll go out on the limb and say that everybody will be able to find something they'll love and learn from in the Wretched Store. So take some time and peruse all we have available. Wretched.org slash store. All of the resources that you'll find are only made possible by the support of our gospel partners. We can't produce the content that we're able to produce without that ongoing support. So while you're visiting the Wretched store at Wretched.org, would you also consider taking a look at our donate page by clicking the give link at the top of the page? There you'll find all the information you will ever need regarding becoming a gospel partner. Wretched.org slash store, Wretched.org slash donate. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. The war for life is not over. The war for life has just begun. Dan Steiner from preborn.org slash wretched. Our partner clinic in um, Buffalo, New York, is firebombed. A clinic in Longmont, Colorado also was burned. And so this is the essence of who we are as Christians. 
we war not against flesh and blood. The implication is that we are, in fact, at war, and we are. The war for life rages on state by state, city by city, block by block, woman by woman. Would you please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched, providing free ultrasound, providing counseling, providing parental training, providing Similac, providing clothes, providing diapers, and offering them the good news of the gospel. We are at war for life. Please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. Revelation. God has revealed himself through many means, including the conscience. God has given each person a conscience so that they can understand his moral standard and their failure to keep that standard. While the conscience can be deadened and twisted by sin, every human being has an innate knowledge of God's law. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Perhaps this will help you to become a manly man. This is Wretched Radio. Oh, I can just hear you, Goyles. Not more talk about men. Might I just encourage you to perhaps tolerate this diatribe because the more godly men are, the better that is for you. (laughs) When you think about that New York judge who just made a ruling about polygamy, hello, where are the feminists? That is so bad for women. Polygamy, it's you, polyandry, is when one woman has multiple husbands. Have you seen any shows on the Learning Channel about that? No. Why? Because it's mostly polygamy. One man, lots of women, ranked in a hierarchical system determined by the one man. Where are the feminists? So perhaps it will encourage you to tolerate this because the more godly men are, the better it is for women that men exhibit masculinity not by going into a for a squared circle that's what they used to call the boxing ring the squared circle putting on boxing gloves and punching another guy now you want to do that that's up to you but that doesn't make you a masculine male cuz that's not what masculinity is it is more of a masculine type of sport but it is not what makes you masculine. Studying Jesus is what makes you masculine. So, madam, thanks for your patience, sir. Are you familiar with the Modesto Manifesto? 1948, Billy Graham, 31 years old. And incidentally, speaking of Billy Graham, I can't wait for you to hear Dr. Erwin Lutzer do his impression of Billy Graham. It is... Jimmy, did you get to hear that when when he was here last week? I did not. Oh, it's amazing. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, he was the pastor. He's now the pastor emeritus, 81 years old, grew up in Canada on the farm. And while he was out on the farm, he would listen to Billy Graham and he memorized. We are looking at the perplexities of, a you know, that that famous Billy Graham. And he memorized it. I also learned, by the way, that Dr. Erwin Lutzer memorized books of the Bible. He's one of those guys. Hey, Jimmy, can you memorize books of the Bible? Uh, No. 
Do you want to know why Dr. Lutzer can and you can't? Because, well, go ahead, tell me. He tries harder. Yes. <laughs> That's what I was told. Oh, man. Speaking of manly men, there you go. Erwin Lutzer is a manly man. It's not like he's going to just walk up to somebody and put him in an arm bar, but he just comports himself in a godly fashion. And so, too, I got to tell you, this is one of the most masculine males I've ever met. And he seriously can barely move a muscle below his neck. He's a quadriplegic. He's David Miller. He's a pastor. He was one of the guys in the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention who helped drive out the liberals. By the way, that's that's being masculine. Now, I don't know that anybody would look at the guys that were in that brigade that drove the liberals out and go, whoa, those are some scary dudes. But they were manly men because they had convictions, biblical convictions, and they were willing to fight, not in a physical way, but to fight for truth. And they were victorious. That's a masculine man. That is what we are looking for as Christian men not the ability to jump over a six-foot fence. David Miller is in a wheelchair, and I'm telling you, I don't know what it is about that guy. And even Paul Washer says this, I never feel more sissified than when I'm in the presence of David Miller. What is that? Not only can he not bench press 400 pounds, he can't bench press a pound. But he's still a masculine male. Dr. Lutzer was, did a killer Billy Graham impression. We'll play it one of these days. But Billy Graham in 1948, as a 31-year-old, decided to call his posse together to say, we got to take some steps to make sure that we don't even have a whiff of controversy. This is, this is Christian masculinity. The Modesto Manifesto is is how a man thinks. For instance, there were four points. One, to never exaggerate attendance figures at their meetings. Guard against lying and deceit. There is a temptation for men to be braggarts or to just kind of push it a little bit to make it look better. And Billy Graham and the boys said, nope, not going to do that. Number two, to take only a fixed salary from their organization. What was that about? It guarded against financial thievery. I'm going to save number three for the end. Number four, to never criticize fellow members of the clergy, to guard against pride. Now, I wouldn't say you never criticize members of the clergy, but I do agree with the pride part. A godly man seeks to be a humble man. Jesus called himself meek and gentle, he wasn't a sissy. Jesus had calluses. I think that's a pretty safe bet. I'll bet he was quite strong. He was a young man who worked. It was either bricks or wood. He was in construction, likely, of some sort. He was strong, and yet he was meek and gentle because meekness and gentleness is strength under control. Number three of the Modesto Manifesto. To never be alone with a woman other than their wife, mother, or daughters to guard against sexual sin. 
That is a word for every man. Think about it. Who, who do you have in your phone? Who are your friends on Facebook? How much time are you spending in territories of temptation that might lead you into a sexual stumble? Wise up. Be a man. Make decisions that say, you know what? I'm going to deal with these things. And do you know, Jimmy, would you like to know who the manliest person is in that regard? Who's that? My wife. <laughs> this isn't exactly working out, but she will rarely friend men. So if a man sends a friend request, very rarely, it, it's, it can be a family male. If it's somebody that we're very close friends with as couples, she'll make some exceptions, but otherwise no men. And most people would go, oh, come on. It's just Facebook. I would say, come on, it's Facebook, and it can lead you to places, and it can give the impression that. And a godly man says, no, I'm not even going to give a hint of scandal. I'm not going to give off any clues that maybe I am not guarded and protecting my purity, my holiness, and my spouse, and my family how could you apply this to never be alone with a woman other than their wife, mother, and daughters? What would that look like for you? What maybe needs to be cut out of your life so that you can be like Billy Graham? Okay, that didn't work out either. Here's another trend these days that men have to take a close look at. It is called quiet quitting. It's all the rage, apparently, with a particular generation that doesn't really dig going the extra mile at work. They don't feel compensated enough or they feel like work-life balance is off and they want to get it adjusted. So rather than getting it adjusted, they dial back how much they do. Just the absolute bare minimum. That's just enough to get by so I can get my paycheck so I can live that's, that's not how a Christian man should be thinking. This is from, believe it or not, the New York Times. Huh. There's a better way to reclaim your time than quiet quitting. This is a writer who focuses on time management, encourages you to get it under control, the balance thing. And, and, and if your boss is asking you to work 60 hours a week and you're not being compensated and it's causing you to frazzle, now, there's seasons that we got to do that, and you just man up and do it. But talk to the boss. Don't slack off. That's not how we work. That is not how we go about the business of representing our God, which is exactly what you are doing in the workplace. It is exactly what you're doing in school. Christian men should not do enough to get by. Christian men should study as hard as they can, work as diligently as possible, and if that means getting a C, so be it. But you knocked yourself out. You strove for excellence, even if you fell short of it. Because it's not so much about getting an A, it's about your diligence. Why? Because that's an internal quality. It shows some gumption, some fortitude, some stick to itness. Because it is not the externals, they're not insignificant, but it is not the externals that makes a man a masculine male. It is the internals. Just wondering, gentlemen, is there anything you might need to change? 
in your life? Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>